Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 141. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, David Scott Peters. David, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, my friend, very unstoppable. <laughs> awesome. Let's do this. Uh, having grown up in his family's restaurant and catering business, David has an intimate understanding of the needs and challenges facing the independent restaurant operator. A graduate of Northeastern University, David has spent the majority of his life studying and refining the systems that make franchises so successful. Today, his mission is to help the independent restaurant operator compete and thrive in the sea of franchise and chain restaurants with smart systems that increase your profits, reduce your stress, and actually allow you to have a personal life. David, that's a huge aerial, just big picture story of who you are and what you're all about. And I want to learn more about you. But first, I want to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote. So what do you have to share with us today? Well, there's a uh, phrase that is on my training room wall that I stole from my father. And that phrase is, ideas are cheap. It's the people who put them into action that are priceless. I don't care where you get all the ideas from, whether you see me speak, other speakers through go to food shows, gobble up information, listen to Restaurant Unstoppable. You go through all these things, say, I've got all this great information. If you do nothing with them, who cares? So the bottom line is ideas are cheap. You can find them everywhere. It's the people who put them into practice that are priceless, right? Take action. That's the key. I love it. I really do. And I, as I've been learning with this podcast, I, mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The more I learn, the more I discover that you could have the best concept, all the right systems, processes, procedures in place, but without the right people behind those restaurants, you're, you're never going to be successful. I mean, it takes great people to run great restaurants. Um, first, you have to be great yourself. Do you, I mean, do you think it starts with the person, the, 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 the man, the myth? Like, where does it all start? Well, I can tell you this. I grew up working in my family's restaurant and catering business back in Linwood, New Jersey, working for the toughest manager I know. If anybody ever ever worked for their mom, you know that it sucks. Now, <laughs> while I hated it as a kid, I truly did, because why? My mother rode my sister and I twice as hard as anybody else, said there'd be no favoritism. You know, that doesn't sit well with a teenager. However, she did me a favor, mm -hmm. because everywhere I ever worked, I had a work ethic like nobody else around me. I was able to rise very easily because of that. So she actually did me a favor. And then as the years went on, I ended up working for a, a brew pub and cafe in Phoenix, Arizona called Coyote Springs. This is back in the early 90s when brew pubs were opening one a week. It was just magic. Mm -hmm. Our first location was like a cash cow. It was literally hand over fist money. Our second location was much like owning a boat a hole in water in which you throw money. So while one was making money, then was just sucking it all dry. And this is where I had to, to create what I call my restaurant smart systems. These are restaurant operational systems that are simple, measurable, applicable, repeatable, trainable. Mm -hmm. The key with systems are if they're not simple, nobody's going to use them. If they're not trainable, nobody's going to use them. 
Now, while I was learning that, that stuff and putting that all in place, I later moved on to a franchisor called Famous Sam's, 30-unit restaurant sports bar chain uh, here in Arizona. Uh, we were going gangbusters at the time. We were going to open eight stores. I was the director of operations. Uh, the guys that bought the company uh, wanted to take it public, and they damn near bankrupted it in about a year. And as management was leaving, I went and taught at Scottsdale Culinary Institute, Management, Human Resources, Wines and Spirits. I tell you this, uh, you know, I'm not a chef. I can't cook. I have zero knife skills. I'm horrible. <laughs> but do know that I can run anybody's kitchen mm. because if with the right systems in place, I know how to order on budget. I can make sure that the, the stations are open and closed properly from checklists and mise en place and all the things that go into budgeting and what have you. What I can't do is cook, even though. I've taught at Scottsdale Culinary Institute. I'm, I'm the academics guy. I'm the numbers guy. Well, that's what I do. But as an operator, if you have the right systems in place, you don't have to have the skill set to be able to train somebody to use a knife. Now, as that, as I finished that up, I was actually um, consulting, and the minority shareholders of Famous Sam's asked me to come back, and, and I did. They gave me a five-year goal. And that was turn what should have been a bankrupt, failed company, turn it around and sell it within five years. Well, I missed that goal by only three months. I know what it is to be an independent restaurant operator. I know what makes the chain successful. It's my job to provide the independent the same systems and tools that chains use without losing your independence. We love our guests. We love our employees. But we're going to do what the chains do, and that's make money. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is, you know, my, my whole upbringing has been this business. And, and uh, you know, I've tried to get myself out several times as a, uh, as a young man, uh, but I, it's in your blood. Once it's in your blood, it's there. Mm -hmm. And so my passion now is to literally help the independent. I love it. And one of the questions I had written down specifically for you, David, is what made you switch to focus? It sounds like you, you spent the majority of your career, like we said, in working with franchises and change, developing those systems. But when was the switch and why did you make the switch to focus on helping independents? Like, what is it about the independent that makes you want to help them? Well, it's because I grew up in it. I, I know the struggles that, that we as independents have. And, and, I, and I go in and out of chain restaurants, and uh, I see how they dominate the industry. And some of them are just horrible. Mm -hmm. But they have lines of people. And, and why is it? It's because they're consistent. Mm -hmm. They're so consistent that even when they're consistently bad, people want to go back to them. And I'm, I sit there and go, well, my roots are independents. My family, this is, mm -hmm. this is you know how we paid our bills. And I sit there and go, that's where I want to be. I know that if I worked with chain restaurants, I'd probably make a lot of money, move a lot faster, because I could hit somebody up with 25, 30, 100, 300 units. All of a sudden, bang, I'm growing my company. Mm -hmm. But there's something about helping somebody turn their business, turn that corner, whether it's leadership, whether it's company culture, whether it's the systems, whether it's changing their bottom line, whatever it may be that is so rewarding, that that's, that's kind of our calling. We just, it, it just feels right. It's part of our core values. I, I circled one word that came out of your mouth earlier, and it was love. Uh, the people in the, in it's the independent people, these independent restaurants, they love their people. They love the food. And for me, that's why I love focusing on the independence because of just how much love there is, the passion. It's not – I mean, we can help these people make the money, but really, at the end of the day, they're doing this because they can't picture themselves doing anything else. And it's, it's just – those are the people I – you know, resonate with. And I feel like you're the same kind of guy. So I'm really excited for this interview. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about you before we dive into your it factors? 
You know, I, I sit there and just tell you this. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I, I, I really am not. Uh, I have made the same exact mistakes that everyone makes. The difference is, and part of the, my calling is, why are franchising, franchises so powerful? Is they teach a proven business model, a system, a process, a way to doing anything. They've already made the mistakes which cost them money. Mm-hmm. As independents, every mistake we make, it costs you money. Well, guess what? I've already blown my legs off. The difference between me and you at this point in time is I know how to go around those landmines. I've seen them. I've already done it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the, the part that you sit there and go, what makes him so special? Like, it's just a restaurant guy. You're right. I am. The difference is I've put it in a package that literally allows you to avoid those landmines, which cost you money. Mm, I love it. All right, man, I am pumped up. So let me ask you, David, what are your if factors? What makes you successful in this industry? If you can contribute it to like a couple just characteristics or habits you have. I'm going to tell you this. I think the number one reason my it factor is the same one that any restaurant tour needs to have and that's passion passion for this industry now i break passion into three different things why i'm personally successful i have such a passion for this business that that i i want to be the best at it Whatever I do, I have a passion to be best, whether that was from high school being a scholarship athlete into college, wanting to, to always strive and do more, whatever it may be, that's kind of how I'm built. I have a passion to be the best at anything I do. I have a passion to be a leader in this industry. I have a passion to go out there, be the best speaker, the best coach, the best consultant, the best at anything to make sure to get the best results out of anyone. Again, it sounds redundant, but that's truly my passion. And last but not least, when it comes to the restaurant industry, I have a great passion for hospitality. There's nothing more rewarding in this industry than creating a memory, an experience for your guests. And that's kind of, I think, that drive, that hook that keeps me in this business and always has throughout the years. Because like I said, early on in my career, I thought I'd try and get out several times. But it's one of those things that there's no other business like this where you really touch people's lives on a daily basis. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, I'm loving everything you're giving us. And I can't wait to uh, apply some of these, these things you're telling us to a story. But are there any other it factors we should know about you before we move on to like applying this if one of these factors in the story. I think one of the things that you're going to learn about me, and maybe you hear it in my voice now because I'm pretty consistent. Uh, I believe that while I'm not special in the sense of restaurant experience and knowledge, there's many, many great people in our industry that I, I, I personally respect and, and love to see how they speak, how they train, how they help, same core values. That's not it. What, what makes me different, if you were to see me on stage, whether at a food show all over the nation, uh, whether it's in my, one of my trainings at my places, there's nobody in this world that can present the most boring information as exciting, real world, uh, and entertaining than I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really comes down to the fact of this. Uh, I teach math. I teach arithmetic. I, I teach you to count stuff. Who wakes up Sunday morning and go, I'm so excited to get to count inventory today? <laughs> Nobody. But I will fire you up. Why? Well, here, I had a speech comm degree in college. Did that really make it? No, I was kind of that, that personality. I used to be an improv comic. I, I can offend anybody equally uh, with voices and what have you. Uh, so you start take my love for the stage, uh, my degree, all my experience, 
And when you sit in a room with me, I'll get you excited about arithmetic. I'll have you laughing. I'll have you understanding why the pieces fit together. And, and that's really my talent, is taking this really dry stuff and making it that something that you want to be passionate about. Mm. I love it. And I mean, to me, I'm hearing you say that you're a teacher in the big picture of things. And one of the things I've learned is that, you know, Danny Meyer says it best. He says that, uh, you know, the line staff, your line staff, their responsibility is making win-win situations for your the restaurant and the guests. And uh, your job as a manager or owner is to provide the, the line staff with the tools to succeed and to in to be able to do that, to provide these tools, you have to be a good teacher. And I think that's why that it factor of being a good teacher comes up so often. And it's, and it's one of those common characteristics of all these success, successful people, because if you can't give people those tools, if you don't love it, if you don't get amped up about providing people with these tools, then it's, you're not going to sell it and you have to sell it. And I, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. What would you have to say to, to that? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is here. Uh, one of the things that I, I've noticed in the world uh, of restaurants is there are four different kinds of people in our industry. And I created something called the Restaurant Owner Matrix. Now, this goes for managers as well. And what it comes down to is if you imagine an XY axis, and as I go up the axis, the more I depend on systems, the more I depend on the numbers, the more I move up the axis. If I go to the right, and the more that I communicate, the more that I want to train, the more that I want to be the center of attention, the further I move to the right. Mm -hmm. Now, in that bottom left-hand corner where those axes meet, you've got this one corner. This is what I call the crazy maker. This is a person who doesn't have many systems in their business, doesn't pay attention to the numbers, is often a victim in their business. They're an emotion-driven owner. And they sometimes work a line position to save money. They are poor communicators. They are feeling just woe is me. And whatever they get, they get because of dumbass luck. Mm -hmm. Well, they're crazy makers in their business. They're literally allowing the line employees to run it. They often don't like customers. It's, it's a hard place to be. Now, the more you move up the axis and depend on systems and then look at the numbers, the more you become a pencil pusher. A pencil pusher is a person who runs their business based off their numbers and systems. They often are people who don't uh, communicate very well. They are impatient at times. They run their businesses on a negative by watching security cameras, picking up a phone and saying, get your ass off the counter instead of getting up and teaching people that's not what we do here. Mm -hmm. Well, these people are great at systems. They're great at numbers. The problem is they don't communicate. Now, if we go back down to the bottom and we move to the left, well, the far or oh, sorry, for, to the right, to the far right, the more I communicate, the more I want to be the center of attention, the more I become what I call a social worker. Mm -hmm. This is a person who loves training, who loves to be the center of attention, loves restaurant one-on-one, giving the guests the best experience possible, and often ignores the numbers. Mm. Well, the key is I want to put systems in place to kind of go down the road where you talked about teaching. Well, when I put systems in place, guess what it does? It takes my, my uh, bad skills, my weaknesses, and bolsters them up. Because here's what happens is when I put systems in place, I take that 
pencil pusher, it forces me to communicate because I have training systems. I have accountability in place. It makes me a head coach, a systems-driven leader of my business. Now, if I look at a social worker and I, I sit there and I, I love training and I love doing all these things, I don't look at the numbers, the systems force me to look at the numbers, give me targets to shoot for from budgets and so on. It takes me from being a social worker into being a head coach. Now, whether a crazy maker or pencil pusher or a social worker, the systems allow me to go down that exactly that road. Somebody who leads who teaches and trains, communicates, follows numbers, really makes sure their business is run the way it should be. And so I would agree 100%, but I, one of the things you have to understand is everybody's not born that way. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have something to help us get to the point where it makes us a great leader in our business. Wow, man, that is incredible stuff you're dropping on us. Is there, do you have this in a, a version, like a printable version or something I can throw that in the show notes with? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, what, what I can do is I can give you a special report uh, that goes through the top 10 things any restaurant owner should have. And it has, it has that matrix in there. I'd happily share that with you and your listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, just I mean, we could talk about that stuff all day. And as much as I want to, we have to get a story from you before you move on to your failure. So can you think of a time, David, where one of your if factors, whether it was your passion to be the best or to be a leader or just your passion for hospitality or maybe a time you just taught somebody something, bring us to a story. Bring us down to the moment. We want to be there with you. Where this it factor really shown through? Sure. I, I think it happened when at Coyote Springs, we had opened our second location, the one that I told you was like a boat, a hole in water in which yeah. you throw money. I was the manager that was going back and forth between the two stores. The third store was supposed to be mine. Mm -hmm. And the owner said, take David off your schedules for the next two weeks. He's going to be working on budgets and some special projects. Mm -hmm. Well, I never left that position. It was three years from when I left the company, finally, of being in that position. What ended up happening was I was able, it was me and the owner, I was able to see all of the gaps in the business, starting with a budget to give us targets to shoot for, but it allowed me to identify what systems we didn't have in place. I was able to create those systems. I was able to make sure we put financial controls in where you talk about the biggest challenges. Well, as I'm doing this, I had no training on accounting, no training on paying bills and cash flow or anything like that. Instead, I had the owner say, David, I'm going to Europe to Guinness. My family and I were going to travel Europe, and then we're going to we're going to tour the the brewery. Mm -hmm. Man, this is an awesome opportunity, David. While I'm gone, I want you to pay the bills. Well, while the owner was gone, cash flow was horrible, to a point where I had to call him in Ireland and say we're not going to make payroll, and then had to call some of our investors on our board of directors to get a cash call in order to make payroll. Mm -hmm. I learned right then and there that I had to put more systems in place. I had to find, hold management accountable to budgets and so on. That was probably the critical part there. I could have folded and said, I can't do this. Instead, I started putting in 80, 90 hours a week. I was literally going to do anything and everything in my power to make sure this restaurant succeeded and that our management knew what to do. And I think it all comes down to you've got to have that passion because if not, this industry can eat you up. Absolutely. I mean, like you really have to love what you're doing because like you say, it will, it will eat you up unless you can wake up every morning and you get like just so much like just joy from doing this kind of work, like to put in an 80 hour a week like you did. 
and to just want to wake up and do it again the next day, like it takes a special person. And it sounds like you are a special person, David. And if I could say, I think you summarize it right there, but that number one thing was just the passion. And I think you even can kind of tie it into teaching a little bit too, because you had to take your company to the next level. And if it wasn't, if you weren't there to, you know, show them this and to show them what it was going to take, then it would have never happened. Well, the biggest thing people have to understand, especially independent restaurant owners who think they can do everything themselves, you can't. Mm. Look, I call, I got to have stones. I'm pretty confident. I call my company therestaurantexpert.com. Mm. Come on, I have, do not lack confidence. But I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't walk into anybody's business, whether it was a $350,000 pizza place or it was an $8 million bar restaurant in New York City. I don't care where you are, whatever your volumes are. I couldn't walk into your business and implement and do all of the systems I teach myself. I'm not that good. Nobody is. You have to, at some point in time in your career, understand you need others to help. Mm -hmm. And that you can only get that going back to your point of teaching Mm -hmm. and holding them accountable. Awesome, man. I'm loving it. Uh, So... Now it's time. I think we learn most by learning from other people's failures, David. So when was there a time where you fell short and you just fell hard on your ass? Tell us about this. Bring us to the story, just like you did before, and tell us what you learned from this failure. Well, I, I'll tell you, my, 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 if I, we're going to go deep into my dirty underwear, <laughs> I'm probably going to share you a story that, that almost nobody knows. Probably only about... Um, uh, a group of my members that have been with me forever would know. At uh, one point in time in our business, I, I, I swore there were a lot of things I was not going to do. Uh, I started this business. I was working out of my house. I was going to have a small group of, of members to coach, uh, put a couple products out there, so on. Well, I was never going to have a partner. I was never going to have an office. I was never going to have employees. I was never going to have and create online software. Well, I have done all of these things. So I never say never anymore. I try not to. But the software was the biggest challenge. See, my members said to me, they said, David, they'd been with me for six, some even eight years. So, David, we love your stuff, but we're tired of putting the same number into five different spreadsheets. So you think about it. You want to control your labor. If you're a spreadsheet geek like me, you've got a labor control sheet. You need to put your sales in there. Oh, you've got your daily cash controls. got to put your sales in there. Oh, I want to track my cost goods sold. Then you put sales for liquor, bottle beer, draft beer, wine, food. I'm taking the same numbers. I'm putting them into multiple spreadsheets. Oh, and then, uh, you know what? They complained to me saying, I got managers who by accident or worse on purpose manipulate formulas, right? I want to make this spreadsheet better, and they blow up formulas. Mm-hmm. And then you're spending all your time locking the formulas, and then you got to unlock them. you got to do all these things, and it's just a, just absolute crazy which computer has the right spreadsheet on it. Well, the last thing they said was, David, I want to hold my management team accountable. I want them to know what the job is, how to do it, how well it should be done, more importantly, by when. Well, basically... Uh, I was tasked with answering that. That's what my members needed. And so we created what we call Smart Systems Pro, an online restaurant management solution that is literally everything from a uh, daily cash controls and manager log to online scheduling and labor controls, complete food and beverage systems from recipe cards, ordering inventory prep, and everything in between. Well, where we are today is phenomenal. Where I was years ago was crazy. Mm. To a point where the first person I picked to do the programming, I literally got duped. To a point where I, I have never been, I'm probably 
the most positive person you're going to meet. I was probably the ugliest time of my life. As we're coming up under a release date, and I've got 80 people coming to Las Vegas for this release of the software, and as we're going, we're getting closer, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing anything. And I'm told, because I don't understand programming, that this programmer was creating this new intellectual kind of uh, intuitive software that was going to help create this system for me, that once he had this laid out, we just simply plug and played certain information and it built itself. Well, I bought in, and as we got closer, the more frustrated I got to a point where it was Friday before the next Monday where we're going to have our seminar, our release of the software. I don't have anything tangible to show, and I say to the programmer, Tell me this is not going to work, and I will tell these people not to come to Las Vegas. No, 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 David, it's all good. Well, we get there. I've got nothing. We are literally pulling all-nighters. I get on stage, and I start teaching from mock-ups, and I finally break down and go, uh, not cry, uh, but break down and just be square with my people and say, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I I got duped. I got nothing. And it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done because I love being on stage. I love helping people, exceeding their expectations. This was the first time in my life I failed to a point where there was no getting back up, at least I thought. I thought this was the end of my company. I'm going to lose all of these members. My company's done. I lost one member. Wow. Everybody rallied behind me. And I immediately, while I was still in Las Vegas, had already gotten new programmers through some recommendations of some colleagues that I knew. They had already been on my server, downloaded all of our stuff. And, but the only, we were, we were going to take control. The next morning, I already had a new team, and they determined that we couldn't use any of that information, any of the code that the other code, coder did, and we started from scratch. Oh, man. And I made the commitment to make sure that I was going to deliver on my promise. And, and I'll tell you, the one thing I learned there is when you truly are honest, when you have created raving fans, meaning people who've bought into you because you deliver on that promise, they'll always be there for you. They'll understand even when they, they – financially are damaged in some small way. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned is, is you stay true to your core values. You truly stay, stay true to your passion, your vision. And if everybody buys into that vision, uh, you can get anything done, even when there's hiccups, when you think it's over. And, and that's the biggest thing, even in the restaurant business. How many restaurateurs failed? Thomas Keller failed, mm-hmm. right? But we know that he is one of the, you know, the, 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 the leaders in our industry. Well, everybody does. But failure teaches us something. It's what you do the next day. You can feel sorry for yourself. You can cry. You can do whatever you want for one day. That's all you get. The next day is what matters. Are you going to go take action? What are you going to do about it? And, and, and I, hopefully that answers your question, but that's probably the lowest point in my career ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, the bottom line is you stay true to your vision, you'll get there. It does. And I'm so happy you told the story the way you did because while you were telling your story, I'm taking down notes. And when you started talking about how you just came out and were, you were honest with the people that were in this crowd, I circled honesty because I believed that was it. I mean, when you're honest, you're transparent and you show people your true colors, they can't really get, they might get mad at you, but they can't get mad at you as much as they would if you just lied to them and try to circumnavigate the real issue, which is the real issue was you, you got messed up. You got, you got duped. Now I'm curious though, 
where was your failure in, where did it start hiring this person and what could you have done differently to protect yourself from going down this road? Well, I, I think that my biggest mistake was not putting visual benchmarks in in the process of any kind of project. There's got to be something where what I call the, uh, um, I change everybody and say you're from the state of Missouri. In the state of Missouri, why would I say that? On the license plate, what are they? They're the show-me state. And so whenever, whether I'm working with employees or I'm working with a vendor or whatever, you need to put milestones in place and say, great. When they say things are going great, you say, great, show me. It's non-confrontational. But the fact of the matter is with milestones, little markers of small successes, we know that we're on our path to ultimate success. Without those milestones, when you get to the end of the project, whether it's you want your chef to do recipe cards and, and, and you get two months down the road, the date that it's supposed to be there, they're not there, you're pissed off. Well, the fact of the matter is that was my fault. That's your fault because you didn't put in uh, delegating properly mm-hmm. and making sure that there are milestones that we look at. And I think that's probably my biggest, my biggest mistake because if I put those milestones in, I could have easily early on pulled the plug and said, I've got the wrong programmer. Instead, I trusted too much. We need to trust and verify. Mm-hmm. You need to trust people. We'll get nothing done. But we need to verify that it's getting done. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So just to summarize, the failure, the ultimate failure there was not creating those visual steps, those milestones, and how, having the accountability to make sure this project was going down the right street, taking the right course. And then the biggest lesson learned for me was to, just to be honest, like you said, and just to be transparent, be yourself, stay true to those values, have that, you know, stay true to that vision, have those raving fans. And if you, if you can do this and you're good to people, when you do fall flat on your face, they will be there to pick you back up. And that was amazing, David. I love everything about that. Thank you for sharing it with us. This is turning out to be an awesome interview. I'm pumped. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we dive into these bombs of knowledge? No, I, I think I'm good. Let's go into the bombs. All right. So the first bomb of knowledge I'm going to have you drop on us, David, is what is your advice for getting the initial capital or finding investors, if that's what you're going to say? Like, What advice do you have for us for just getting started with that capital? Well, I'm going to tell you that's probably one of the toughest things to do today, especially because most banks and lenders are fearful of restaurants. So no matter where you're looking for money, I'm not going to touch on that. I'm going to touch on where is your financial plan. You've got to, you can put a business plan together, all the stuff about who you are and the experts and how you're going to be better and what your menu is and location and equipment and all that wonderful stuff. But ultimately, what does a lender look at? They want to look at the numbers. So your financial plan. So I think the one piece of advice I'm going to give you, when I was a franchisor and it was much easier to get people financed because they were part of a chain, a system, and banks tend to like those better, even though they have the same failure rate as an independent. Somewhere around Ohio State University did a study that found that 62% of all restaurants fail in their first three years of business. Mm -hmm. It's really not a big, and there's like a two-point discrepancy between independent and chain. Well, the fact of the matter is, the banks are looking for a one to one to five ratio. That means for every dollar you're going to borrow, they're looking for you to do top line gross sales of a dollar twenty five. 
So if you borrow a million dollars to buy the dirt, build the restaurant, and put all the build out, really be up and running a million dollars borrowed, they're looking for you, your first year sales to be one million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for every dollar you borrow they want to see a dollar twenty five in revenue that first year and that's probably my biggest piece of advice make sure you've got that final financial plan and understand that if you're borrowing money they're generally looking for a one to one two five ratio awesome that's the first time we've heard that on the show thank you for sharing it with us so now on the topic of hiring like how do we find great people where do we look to hire these people and what attributes are we looking for I'm going to tell you a couple things here. Number one, the, you know, the academic side of me says make sure you're using a pattern interview. You're asking everybody the same questions. You're not writing information down. You're trying to stay out of hot water for, for uh, employment practices and being sued for discrimination and all this wonderful stuff. Uh, that's the academic side of me. The biggest thing, where you find people, man, I, I love referrals. I always want to have my employees bring the next employee here, whether it's an, a signing bonus that if somebody, if you get one of your friends to apply, we actually hire them. I might pay you 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks if they stay with me 90 days. Now, what does that do? That it makes sure that my employees go find people like them. Mm -hmm. My employees don't want to bring on somebody who's going to embarrass them. The employees now help that new hire be successful because they want to get paid. There's all these benefits to making sure you recruit from the employees you have in your building. But from there, there's you know the job sites, the Craigslist, and so on. Bottom line, nothing's better than than referrals from people that you know. But the biggest thing that I want to express is when I'm hiring, I hire for desire, not experience. I tell people I can teach a monkey to count out a bar drawer. I literally, it's, a, it's a system. It's a process away. It's a task. I can teach somebody how to bust a table. I can teach somebody how to do anything. What I can't do is Teach them to change their attitude. They're either a positive person, they're a negative person. They're either built for hospitality or they're not. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to tell you, when you hire for desire, not experience, the number one thing I'm looking for is does that person fit our company culture? If they are, if they do not fit your company culture, your view on hospitality, your core values, your view on how you want guests treated, employees treated, and so on, hard work, whatever your core values are about, they don't belong on your team no matter how much experience they have, no matter how good you think they are, they will be a pain in your ass. And you will fire them in six months to a year and you'll say, why do I keep doing this? Because you're hiring for experience, not making sure they fit your company culture. Mm, I love it. All great stuff. Awesome. And one thing I just want to add to that, it's not enough to know what your culture is. It needs to be communicated, written out. And I think it's one of those things that it should be just on your website, on your on your hiring page. Like People need to know when they're coming to work for you what they're getting into. And I think you'll be able to cut through a lot of the people who aren't right for you by just being extremely forward with that. What do you think? Yeah, that's what I call your core values. Mm -hmm. And your core values are who you are as a person. 
They rarely are ever changed. Uh, the tough part is making sure you take the time to write them down. It's who you are as a person, and that's how you want your business run. And in fact, if you put down hospitality and define it, and you say that uh, you know, or or uh, you want the top quality, quality matters to you, and so on and so forth. When you've got these core values written down, people like you will read your core values, be like, I want to be a part of that company. When they make decisions in your business, when you get pissed off, you're pissed off because they stepped on one of your core values. Let's say it's quality was it, and they bought the cheapest product in the world. That pisses you off. Well, if a manager buys the best product in the world, but it's too much money, and they, you say, why did you buy that? You're killing us financially. They go, well, our core values said excellence. I bought the best product I could, they're not, never in trouble. Instead, it's a coaching opportunity because when they can make decisions off your core values, not their own, you'll have success. And this is all about that company culture. So I would tell you, when you say, hey, put it on your website, I'm going to tell you specifically, it's your core values. It's who you are as a person and how you want people to make decisions in your business based on your core values, who you are as a person. I love it. Awesome stuff. And I'm going to have to exercise some discipline here i'm gonna be diving into this you know so much and but man awesome like it's gonna be hard for me not to dive further and further into these questions with you but i'm gonna try not to (laughs) no problem my friend (laughs) all right the next question i have for you is uh what advice do you have for hiring good or not hiring but keeping these great people on your team once you have hired them the biggest thing is create a positive work environment become an employer of choice that is, people work for you for different reasons. Make make money, uh, love the place. When Some people work for you because they love making money and the management is horrible. Some people love management. They don't make a lot of money. It's when those two things separate, meaning you're not making money and they don't love the place, they're gone. The best thing to do is create a positive work environment where your employees love coming to work. They're learning every day. They're being held accountable, which is not a, a negative thing. They're being taught, they're trained, they love the culture. That's the biggest thing. Become an employer of choice, have a positive work environment. I like how you mentioned being held accountable, David, because that's something that's not mentioned often in this question. So can you just elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, accountability is often a dirty word. People think, I'm going to hold you accountable. Well, the bottom line, accountability, I changed the word to answerable. Forget about the word accountable. Understand that the definition, in my view, is answerable. You're answerable for the actions you take or you don't take based on your job, the duties that you're supposed to do. You make decisions based off those duties or responsibilities, and ultimately you take action or fail to take action. So when I hold somebody accountable, I'm making them answerable to what I expected, what I trained them to do, I coached them to do. Now my job is to make sure when they don't do it, I hold them accountable, meaning I, I scold, I will discipline them, but I will reteach them and make sure they understand why it's important, how to do it, and I keep following up. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is accountability isn't a negative of management saying you're bad. It's management saying these are so important to us, I'm going to make sure you relearn them because if you're going to work here, that's what we want done. You're going to be answerable for your actions or inactions. I love it. Awesome stuff. So... The next question I have for you is on resources. Is there one resource you'd recommend to us, whether it's a website, a book, or a podcast that you think is a must-read or listen to in the restaurant industry? I'm going to give you two. One, I'm going to tell everybody to go out and get a book called Secret Service 
by John DeJulius, D-I-J-U-L-I-U-S. He's a customer service expert, has, has uh, $150 haircuts, right, mm-hmm. salons. And, uh, and he talks about wow customer service. That's what he does throughout the country. He's a coach. He does all this stuff, incredible stuff. And it's about those invisible things that make your business take it to the next level that your guests are wow. Give you an idea of what this guy's like. Across the street from his $150 haircut, a $1,500 haircut opens up a place, like, you know, one of these quick, quick uh, places. Well, most independent restaurants, when somebody's cheaper across the street, they open up, they want to lower their prices. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to lose business. No, he puts up a banner that says, we fix $15 haircuts. Because his belief is, with wow customer service, we make price irrelevant. It's a must-read. Otherwise, I'm going to self-promote. I'm going to tell you to go to my website, the restaurantexpert.com. Go to my free resources. Our blog is voted number one to top ten from site after site after site, year after year. I will give you as much information as you're willing to consume to change your change your world, change your life. Awesome. I love it. First time uh, that book has been mentioned on the show, by the way, so you're giving us some great material here. So, Let's talk a little bit about marketing. When your clients come to you, they ask about marketing. What's your advice to them? Well, the biggest thing is you have to understand there's only three ways to increase your business. That's it. That, I don't care what business you're in. You get a new customer, most expensive form of marketing. You get a customer to come back more often. You get a customer to spend more each visit. Well, if I understand that bringing in a new customer is my most expensive form of marketing, I have to do it. I'm always losing customers to moving, dying, and so on. But the fact of the matter is, if I could concentrate on getting my customers to come back more often, spend more, well, now I'm in a position where I can grow my business much faster. And I'm going to tell you, in today's world, you need to be putting a loyalty program in place. There are many out there. There's one that I like the best, but the bottom line is you need to reward people for coming back. So, for instance, why are loyalty programs powerful? Well, I think I'm a reasonably bright guy. I fly all over the country. I'm probably on the road uh, twice a month speaking throughout the United States and, and some in Canada. And why well, fly? I'm a big guy. I, I literally don't like riding in coach because why? I don't like you touching me. I'm a big dude. I've got personal space issues. Well, I want that first-class seat. And so I want my loyalty program with Delta move me up to diamond status where I get upgraded routinely. Most cases, I expect to get upgraded to first class because I want my fat boy chair. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point in time, two, the first time I made diamond status about three years ago, it, on my wife's birthday in December, I got on an airplane flew to Atlanta, got off that airplane, got back on the same airplane, flew back to Phoenix because I needed a thousand more miles. Right? I'm a pretty bright guy. I spent money to get my status in the last month I could on an airplane to nowhere, back to where I started. Do you think loyalty is powerful? Right? (laughs) Instead of spending my money at the sports bar down the street, even though I have a sports bar, the customer goes, if I continue to go to this one, has the same damn product, uh, maybe because I get rewarded every time I visit, every dollar I spend, I'm going to make my decision to go back to that restaurant. So I think loyalty is, is in, imperative in today's restaurant world. I love it. And instead of really diving into this, because I'm fighting the urge to dive into this, instead of doing that, can you give us a resource that we can learn more about different types of loyalty problems? Uh, 
or services and where we can go just to kind of educate ourselves on the topic? Well, I think uh, I don't have a good resource for you per se. I would tell you to call my good friend Cameron Carrington at repeatreturns.com. And if you're not right for him, he'll let you know. There are there are many out there from uh, credit card companies to uh, people that, that, that have loyalty programs. But bottom line is, if he's not right for you, he'll tell you, but he'll educate you. They've got all the things necessary. So that's repeatreturns.com is the place I would go. That's Cameron, Cameron saying repeatreturns.com. I'll have that in the show notes for you guys, so don't worry about writing it down. Just remember, this is David Scott. Peters, we'll have the links right there. All right, <clears throat> so the next question I have for you, David, is on the topic of technologies. How can we implement technology today to be more efficient, to be more productive, to be more profitable? I mean, there's so many ways out there. Give us one way you've seen people doing it and how you think we should be using technology. Well, I, th- I think there's two things. One is the personal level, and one is on the business level. On the business level, you know, I'll always, <laughs> I'd love to tell you whether it's my software or it's somebody else's. You're now in a position where you need to have a solution that is cloud-based, that you can get to your numbers anywhere, that you can log in and see that your chef ordered on time, on budget, following PARs, that your management team scheduled next week on budget, they're controlling labor this week, that the cash made it to the bank. You need to have some form of software. But with that, you've got to have the training and support to get there. Because it's one thing to have software. We're a restaurant training and coaching company. That's what we do. The software is merely a tool. But there are other competitors that I've got nothing negative to say about. What you need to do is understand that that technology helps you move your business forward. It takes targets, and it makes sure you hit those targets. It measures that which we measure improves. If you keep stumbling around with spreadsheets and, and, and things on paper, or it, it's in your head because you know it. You're not able to train others to do it because you will have managers leave. When you've got software and training to get there, you're training everybody's replacement. And as people move on, the next person's coming along because you have a system, a process, a way. Personally, I'll tell you, you need to have things, whether it's the you're using the Microsoft things. I switched years ago to Google Apps, a lot less expensive, a lot more flexible. Uh, join me if you want to have meetings with your management team, whether they're in the building or at home, so you can share your screen and have conference calls. And if you've got projects, Basecamp is always a great thing for keeping everybody on the same page. Instead of exchanging multiple, multiple emails, you've got a, a place where each step of your project is being documented, who did what, and, and you upload images and files and so on. Those are probably the three things personally I think can help. Awesome. And, again, all the links will be in the show, na- show notes. David Scott Peters will be the words to type at the end. Um, all right. So the next question I have for you, David, is on the topic of business advice. If you could just drop one line of business advice on us, what would it be? I think it's make sure you're not an enabler in your business. I talked about it earlier saying, you know, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. And and you can't. There's just not enough time in the day. And if I could go backwards in time and look at myself, when I was a manager on the on the floor, I often tried to show people by example, that I was the best busser, host, server, bartender, food runner, expo at the same time. 
And what I ended up doing was enabling my employees to do nothing. Instead, they saw me sweat my ass off, run around like a, a chicken with my head cut off, and they walked. They knew that I would eventually clean their table. You've got to understand that you need these people, and you need to direct more. Hey, help me st get table 22 uh, or turned, and you go over with the bus or the server, and you start the process of cleaning, but you don't do it all yourself. And at certain times, you direct. You've got to be a leader in your business. You can't do everything yourself. I love it. And we've been talking a lot today about the importance of having a systems-dependent business, and that's kind of what I'm hearing you saying is instead of being some, the one person that runs around and, do, and does everything, create the systems, processes, procedures, so the people you have on your team can do the work and you're not doing it all yourself. But what happens when you do have these system-dependent uh, businesses and great people? Yeah, well, that's the bottom line of, of all the systems part. Why is it, how is it that chain restaurants have no owners in them? Yet they have hundreds, sometimes thousands of them. They impose their will without being there. Things are done their way as if they were standing over the person's shoulder, even though they're not. Mm -hmm. And that is documenting and having training systems in place for everything you do. There's no system too big or too small, whether it's a, a manager checklist or a key item report, waste sheet, bathroom checklist, or it's as advanced as dollars per labor hour for efficiencies or, or looking at our our. our ideal food cost versus actual and finding out what our variances are. I don't care where you are. There's a system, a process, a way to doing something. Mm -hmm. And when you have it documented in great detail, it means that people cannot fail. They do it your way every single time. When I put management on the floor to inspect those systems and hold people accountable, we're back to that training and holding people accountable, they can't fail because they're doing exactly what I want. Instead, we've got industry where independent restaurant owners think that their employees should have common sense, and there's no such thing as common sense. Wikipedia.com, because we don't use dictionaries anymore, we need the collective society to tell us the definition, says common sense is what's in common in a group. And when you look at a restaurant that is 40, 100 employees, and look at the different genders, uh, uh, races, economic backgrounds, uh, you, sexual preference, I don't care. You go through all of this, and you want that whole group to have what's common sense. Well, common sense is what's in common in all of them. The more people we add, the fewer things that are in common. You have to be specific and clear. You have to understand that people are, do not have common sense. It's your job to define what you want done, teach it, and hold them accountable. That's what needs to happen, and that's what systems allow you to do. Impose your will without being there. Have it done your way, even though you're not over their shoulder. Awesome. I love it. And just to kind of wrap this question up, the reason why I had to dive a little deeper is because there's so much power in systems and processes and everything you just told us. But we mentioned earlier, and it's my personal belief, uh, that it's within the, the independent restaurants that the most of that passion, that love is. And when you can capitalize on all that passion and that love and combine it with all these things we talked about systems, I mean, you are truly unstoppable and competing with franchises and chains in your community won't even be a question. So I don't want to dive any deeper on that. We have to ask, are there any questions I could have asked you, David, that you think would have added more value to this interview? I think uh, the, the one question I would wish you would have asked and I, and I would say is, what's the one number? If there was one number in our industry, what number is that? What should I know to be successful? That's probably that question. All right. And what is the one number? Well, that number is, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> That's called prime cost. 
Prime cost is the one number you must know in your business. That's total cost of goods sold plus total labor cost. Now, cost of goods sold is based on inventories. If I'm beginning inventory plus purchases minus ending is the use, use divided by sales gives me cost of goods sold. Now, a lot of people don't take inventory. So if you take your last 12 months purchases divided by your last 12 months in sales, that is your food cost, your poor cost, and so on. But I want total cost of goods sold, everything together, plus total labor costs, including taxes, benefits, insurance. Management included, if you're a restaurant owner, have keys in hand, you're a part of prime cost or an adjusted salary. If you pay yourself 60, but you'd pay a manager 30, 30,000 of your salary belongs there. If you work two days a week on the floor as a manager, two-fifths or adjusted two-fifths, you get the idea. It's what it takes to run the business. In the old days, old-timers like me, we called that a controllable expense. In control of management, how we hire, fire, train, how we purchase and utilize product. Well, prime cost, in the old days, when I started my business 12 years ago, the number was 65% for a full-service restaurant, 60% for quick serve. And I thought I was a hero. I had my full-service people down to 60%. That means for every dollar you bring in sales, you used 65 cents in people and product to deliver that product to your guests. Well, I can tell you this. That number doesn't work anymore because think about seven, eight years ago, we had our economy took a crap. It was horrible, and our restaurant industry took a major shakeup. 9-11, the worst day of our history in the United States, literally was a correction in our industry because the next day, all of our costs went up. And from that day forward, we could no longer count on a Thursday was always $7,000. Now we have a busy Thursday, a slow Thursday, and we can't predict why. Then we have the idiots in Congress. Two summers ago, didn't pass our debt ceiling, our credit limit, and for two weeks, 24-hour news coverage told us how bad things were, and we saw reductions in sales all over the country in every restaurant. Well, with all these things going on, I'm telling you that that 65 number doesn't work. That 60 number doesn't work. If you do $850,000 or more in year in sales, gross sales, ring at the register before discounts, not including sales tax, if you do $850,000 or more in sales, your new prime cost target is 55% or under. That means if you did a million dollars in sales and you were operating at 65% thinking you're hitting it because that's the old target, I'm telling you that 55 is your number. There's 10 points on the table. That means there's $100,000 in bottom line profitability on the same sales you're doing right now if you're willing to do the work, and that's the key. Are you willing to do the work? And why is prime cost so important? Because sometimes owners come home from shows and they hear benchmarks. The National Restaurant Association says that the standard uh, full-service restaurant, typical family, casual, whatever it may be, is 34% food cost. And you go home to your chef and say, 34 is my number. Who said that was right? I don't care where your food cost is. I don't care where your labor cost is. You've got 55%. I'd run a 30% labor cost. What does that give me? It gives me 25 available for labor. I could flip those. I can do whatever it is. I could have a steakhouse at a 40% food cost because it's such high revenues and cash contributions. Great. I could run a 15% labor cost. You get 55 points, and based on your core values, your budget, and everything about your business, that's what we've got to look for. So if you take control of that number, you are literally changing how you run your business, and you're going to make money at the same time. Wow. There's a lot of information there. I'll do my best to summarize it, and I'll put that equation in the show notes. Is there a link you can give us or a resource that will kind of teach us more about that? 
Yeah, remember that 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 uh, special report that I'm going to give you, stopping okay. the insanity. It's going to have all of that information. I'm from the from being a leader in your business to crazy maker to uh, prime cost and recipe costing cards and the whole bit. It is literally a one fantastic resource that will go through everything you need to be successful. Awesome, thank you. And it's time to wrap up this interview, David. You've been incredible. Uh, you need to call somebody out now. Who's one indie restaurant professional that you admire and think would make a great guest mentor just like you did today on the show i'm going to tell you if it's okay with you i'm giving you two uh, and I love it. go ahead these are people that i speak with all over the country uh they're probably the only two national speakers that i put my name on and and really feel like we're cut from the same cloth and what we provide one uh is darren dennington he's the president of service with style hospitality group it's a secret shopping company he's a restaurant coach trainer incredible at getting the most out of your team and really working hospitality the other person is Sandy Corum. She's the founder of thecateringcoach.com. Uh, she is one of my members. I've seen her build. She has a, a multi-million-dollar catering business. Uh, she has retail stores, and she is so incredible at what she does. I helped her and talked her into hitting the circuit and teaching others. She's an incredible resource. If you want to take. Uh, your restaurant and add catering to it or your catering business to the next level. These are the two people that I'll tell you, if it were me, I'd search them down and learn more about. All right, Darren and Sandy, if you're listening to this, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd be honored if you join us here on the show. And, David, now just let us know how we can connect. Give us some contact info, maybe your Twitter handle, Facebook. Let us have it. I think the easiest way is why don't you contact me directly, uh, either by phone or by email. If you go, my email address is david at therestaurantexpert.com. Make sure it's T-H-E-R-E-S-T-A-U-R-A-N-T-E-X-P-E-R-T.com. David at therestaurantexpert.com. Or call me toll-free at one eight seven seven four five seven six two seven eight at extension 101. I'll be happy to talk to you. All right, guys. I'll have all those uh, links we talked about in the show notes, including the contact information. Go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash David Scott Peters, and the links will be all right there. David, you've been so incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us your advice, being a mentor. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Cheers. Another episode wrapped up in the bags. David Scott Peters, man, just killed it today. Uh, so much value packed into this one episode. I don't even know where to start. Um, just great stuff. I don't even think I'm going to say anything. He said it so well. I'm just going to wrap things up. So uh, if you guys have any questions about this episode or if you have any suggestions for future guests, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'm here to work for you, uh, so don't be afraid to put me to action. And also, you can't forget to check out Restaurant Unstoppable slash books and tools for a complete list of all the past books and tools our past guests are using. All right, that's all I have for you today. Until next time, peace out.